Alright, episode 228 is about to begin, and this is Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and today I have the lovely Nikki that is literally a breath of fresh air when you chat with her and in your case listen to her but she has one of those personalities that I could literally just talk to her all day all night and like lose track of time because she's literally one of the best people I've ever interviewed like it was so easy to talk to her and we get into a lot of stuff in this episode from her journey going into massage therapy getting out of pain, getting obsessive with exercise, Pilates, like there's so much that we covered and I honestly think I need to get her on one more time just to cover everything, but without further ado, here's Nikki, hopefully you enjoy it, and the best part is I fuck up the intro because I was thinking way too fast, so super embarrassing, I left it in there unedited, here it is. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining to me in this episode, Cut the Shit, Get Fit, for the first time, Nikki Nab-Levy. Levy. Hopefully I did not F that up, but say hello. (laughs) That... Dude, that works. Close enough. It's all good. Um, So again, I always like to start the show with easy, easy questions. And I think the first easy question I think that will fire you up is what is your biggest pet peeve and why? <laughs> Wait, I only I only get to pick one. Um, you know, I think I think the thing that drives me crazy right now is just this is broad but specific is dogma. Like okay. nothing irritates me more than watching some coach or you know trainer be like, this is the way that you have to do it. And if you don't do it this way, the sky will fall and terrible things will happen. And then they just fear monger the shit out of whoever they're talking to to get them to buy their product. And then that person starts to believe that they have to do this random insane thing that may or may not work for them because who knows, right? Everyone's an individual. Yeah. And, 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 and like, it's just, I mean, it's, it's like quote unquote good effective marketing, but it also is like a great way to spread misinformation because you never explain to people what's happening. You're just like, Hey, cut out all your carbs because otherwise you'll be a fat fuck forever. (laughs) What? Stop that. Just stop. No, no, stop bad. Amazing. That's what pisses me off. That stuff. Awesome. Um, What do you got planned for the weekend is the next one. Oh, what's next weekend? Um, What is it? Next weekend's Easter. Mm -hmm. So I think I have designated family time. Um, And I like like my in-laws. Don't get me wrong. But my husband has to pin me down because I'm a pathological workaholic who will work all weekend. If he's not (laughs) like, we are eating dinner with these people and it's going to be nice. So... That's our plan. Awesome. And then the third and final one, what is the current book you're reading or listening to? (sighs) Current book I'm reading or listening to. What did I just finish? This is bad. I should know. Um, Recently, I'd say the one that I just finished, because I haven't started a new one, was uh, Shrill by Lindy West. So for anyone who's not familiar with her, she's a Seattle-based writer, uh, she's a fat feminist, and I think that 
she's loud and mouthy and I appreciate loud and mouthy women in general. But I also think that in fitness, it's really important that we get the perspective of people who don't like our world and don't exist in our world because the fitness world is just so hostile to any person or body type that doesn't fit into a very, very narrow ideal. So I sort of like exploring what other people outside the industry are sort of saying and understanding how to like make all this stuff more accessible and palpable to like a normal human being. No, I like that. And I think that's a good topic because I've brought this up, I think, once on my show way, way back. But what's your opinion on how fit a coach needs to be in order to do well in the industry? I mean, I think I think it depends, right? I mean, I think I, I, I think that in like, let's say like if we go back 10 years when social media wasn't like a thing as much, um, I think if you didn't fit that ideal and you also didn't happen to have like $100,000 to go on the Dr. Oz show or whatever, you were kind of screwed, right? Because there was this very bizarre, like, perf- well, we still have it, but like this like sort of weird, glossy, perfectionistic feelings about everything. And it was still really, really um, normal and acceptable to just be like, wow, you're not this one specific thing. It's all a disaster and no one wants to hire you. But now, and also depends on how you define success, I think there's a lot more movements about sort of body diversity Uh, And I also think that it depends on who you're trying to market to. So it's like if you have social media and you can get out there and, you know, what are you trying to help someone with? So it's like if you're someone who's trying to help people who are older improve their mobility, are those older people who are trying to improve their mobility, are they really going to care if you have a six-pack? Probably not. That's probably not what they're looking for, just for example. Or if you're someone who's totally turned off by all the aesthetics conversation, and you're like, I just want to get really strong, I don't want someone to lecture me about weight loss, and I feel really intimidated, you might actually prefer working with someone who doesn't fit those ideals, someone who looks more like you. So I I think it just depends on what you're trying to sell or what you're trying to help people with. And then what you're really on the flip side, what your target audience cares about, like, are they going to value those things? We as human beings are like really, 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 um, we have our biases, whether or not we want to acknowledge them. And in fitness, we have extreme biases of we'll project aesthetically, we'll look at someone and we'll place value on it. So I think that it's often easier if you look a certain way to be able to be more mainstream in fitness and frankly make more money or get more clients, which I don't necessarily agree with. I just think that's a thing. Um, But do I think that that determines if you're a good coach? No, not at all. No, I think it's a interesting topic too, because it's like, I think because you obviously you come from like a really good marketing background and I think most people who are like not the fittest, but they want to get into the fitness industry, they probably won't think like you. Cause like all of that made like total sense. Like it doesn't really matter what size you are or how fit you are. It just depends on who you're trying to market to. But I think for the most part, they'll just get into like, you know, that big box gym setting. And now you're dealing with a bunch of gym bros and you're trying to give them advice when they're fitter than you. And that's just like, you're going to get defeated really fast in that situation. Yeah, and I also think, so you sort of mentioned on social media, uh, I'm in 
I'm a Pilat. I started more as a Pilates teacher, which I started as a group fitness instructor. And then I became too injured to teach group fitness. And I became a Pilates teacher because I couldn't move. Nice. Um, and I had to fix all my, all my shit. I had a lot of problems. I got a lot of joint problems. Um, well, mental problems too. I had therapy, but, uh, anyway, that's, that's for another day. <laughs> Uh, but in the Pilates industry, uh, depending on what subset of the Pilates industry you're in, we're like a weird little like uh, redheaded stepchild of fitness. There's a lot of us who like to pretend that we're not fitness. We're like, we teach movement as if, I don't know, it's more elevated. I just think that's elitist. Um, but, but, what ha- I, but I think that in general, the Pilates industry is actually more accepting and open to different body types in general, at least from what I've seen, and attracts more people who don't like exercise because it looks glamorous and you get to do things lying on your back, which is kind of nice if you don't want to stand up and sweat. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, it's, it's a thing I've noticed with clients, nice. bless them. Uh, so, I, I, so what I've noticed is, is distinguished teachers in Pilates, we tend to be a little bit more of, and I say this with love, information snobs, so we've actually got more body diversity, not, not great diversity in general, but more body diversity in Pilates, I've noticed, than general fitness. And there's a little more acceptance around this idea of like, eh, okay, you don't look super in shape, but man, you can help that person with their ankle articulation. We'll give you money. <laughs> Nice. Um, so before we get any further, because I feel like we could just like chat forever, we got to get like an intro of who you are. <laughs> so can you please tell the audience who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry in the first place? Okay. Um, yes. So I'm what I do. So so my I'll just start with my intro to the industry, which was basically uh, when I was 16, I had a car. My family life was a little interesting. I figured out that if I went to the gym. I didn't have to be at home, so I spent a lot of time at the gym taking group fitness classes. And when I was 19, right before I was 19, basically when I was beginning ready to go off to college, I took a lot of Pilates mat classes. One of the group fitness instructors was like, hey, you're kind of good at doing this. You should teach it. And I was like, cool. So I went and took a two-day training where I was terrified of the muscle man and the quad group because I hated science uh, and got a two-day, like, got, like, a weekend mat certification And then, long story short, went to college, went back home for a six-week break because my college was weird and on quarter systems. And uh, one of the Pilates teachers there had stolen a ton of company money and run away to Jamaica. (laughs) And the day I walked in to take her class, the group fitness manager looked at me and went, wait, did you do a training? And I was like, yes, but I've never taught before. And she was like, I don't care. We're desperate. You're hired. And gave me all of the classes for six weeks. So that's uh, that's how I started teaching fitness. Um, <laughs> right into the deep end, hey? <laughs> I mean, I just walked, and I mean, everything I taught was wildly unsafe. It was it was crazy, but uh, whatever. Uh, so so that got me into group fitness, and then after group fitness, uh, after college and teaching group fitness. I was like, great, I think I want to be in the fitness industry um, because my undergrads are exercise science and journalism. And in case anyone is wondering, the only thing that makes you less money than being a personal trainer or a group fitness instructor is a journalist. It's the only thing, only thing in the world that will make you less money without health benefits. So I basically taught a bunch of group fitness, got my Pilates certification at the same time, ended up in a bunch of pain, had to figure out how to get out of pain, 
and then ended up basically working my way back from all of that to now I'm in a place where mostly the people who come to me, it's sort of like they want to look cute and they don't want to hurt. Like that's the long short of it. So I pretty much just introduced this idea of strength training um, and mobility work to people in a hopefully non-intimidating, fun way where they can get results and it's not scary or overly heady or overly complicated. Nice. Um, so I'm trying to unravel all of that, but um, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of curious, like what led you to Pilates in the first place? Uh, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot and this goes back to, I spend way too much time thinking about marketing because when I was teaching Pilates and I wasn't doing strength training, cause I always thought strength training was like kind of intimidating, but also like a little bit boring, even though I love it now. Uh, Pilates sort of had this experience of it was, um, the machines were really cool, right? <laughs> they were kind they were kind of glamorous. So there's like a marketing aspect of it as you like think about like where are safe spaces for women and it's like group fitness and Pilates and yoga land, right? Everything has cool, sexy names. You get to be a dancer pose or a goddess or whatever. And then you look at like strength training and it's like you do deadlifts and farmer's walks. And like, there's just nothing appealing about those names if you're a girl, nothing, especially if you're in your early twenties. Uh, so I think I was just attracted to sort of that whole stupid long and lean thing, um, for better or worse. And I, I thought the equipment was fun. And then I'm also just a learn an information nerd. So when I started studying it, there was more science on that side and less like raw gym talk, like get your gains. So I think that intellectually it was interesting and that's just sort of what set me down that path. Okay, so I'm really curious because, like, I literally know nothing about Pilates other than, mm -hmm. like, I could be totally wrong about this, but doing awesome flutter kicks. But mm -hmm. um, maybe give us, like, the 101 of what Pilates is and how it can benefit an individual if they started doing it today. Oh, boy. So depending on which Pilates teacher you talk to, I'm going to mortally offend someone because we have a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> this, is, this is heavily debated in the industry, and I'm like... No one cares. Uh, but what I see Pilates as, particularly on the equipment, um, is first off, I'm what's called a contemporary teacher. So I don't follow rules. Uh, nice. Like, like, like traditional Pilates, and I have some friends who are classical or traditional teachers who I love, and I love their classes. Uh, sort of is this idea of like, the original idea is like, it's a system of exercises developed by this dude named Joe Pilates, and... Somewhere in the 90s, we branded it as core strength. Uh, but for me, I really like the equipment basically to help you find and feel and access where your body is in space. So this can be helpful on a post-rehab end. So if you're someone who has had pain, who's trying to get back into exercise, but you're trapped in this revolving door between like CrossFit where you run with a tire over your head and your physical therapist's office, something like Pilates could be a really nice way to like start to just gradually and thoughtfully like strengthen some of those like quote unquote weak links to sort of really find and feel and learn how to control where your body is in space using the feedback of um, the equipment. And basically because the equipment is all spring-based, it's a great way to really sort of 
feel full ranges of motion. So for people that can be really, really helpful for improving their mobility, or if you don't know what that word means, uh, let's just call it flexibility. So it can be really nice just for like getting your spine moving, getting your hips moving, learning how to control and feel where you are. Uh, that can reduce, we know now because of pain science, that can reduce some feelings of pain and discomfort and stiffness for some people. But on the flip side, if you're someone who wants to like let's say move really well and be really efficient and lift heavier weights. We also know that lifting a heavy object requires hopefully some level of efficiency if you want to do it well. So an example is like a Turkish getup. If you want to do a really heavy Turkish getup and you find always rolling, you're really good at rolling to the right and you suck at rolling to the left. If you did something like Pilates where like you really access that spinal mobility of rolling and moving to the left, you might find that if you go do your Turkish getup an hour later or the next day, like all of a sudden that hard weight on the left feels really easy because your brain knows how to move you that way. So I like it for a performance end now personally. Okay. Like are all Pilates classes like kind of the same because you know like in yoga you if you go do a class there's different types but you know there's always warrior one and warrior two and all those kind of things like it's similar or is pilates classes they're all different i i think it's very instructor dependent um i think i think we have a little bit of an identity crisis right now in the pilates industry uh for better or worse So if you were to take a traditional class, you'll probably see a lot of the same familiar exercises every single time. If you were to take a Pilates class from someone like me, who is is irreverent, knows too much, and stopped following any rules that they were taught a long, long, long time ago, uh, you might not do a single traditional-looking Pilates exercise the entire time. Okay, fair enough. Um, So let's move on to your, like, journey and struggle through pain so like how did it all first start and what did you do to get out of pain um well how how it all first started was i just did too many goddamn group fitness classes (laughs) i mean like like really truly no um but that, but that was sort of it. Like I was one of those people who like pathologically overexercised in their early 20s. And now looking back at it, basically I was someone who was really hypermobile. I'd been a competitive cheerleader. So I had like tons and tons and tons of flexibility, no control, no true strength training background. Uh, and then I added basically power or impact to it, jumping up and down, all high impact, high intensity repetitively. And so... It's, it's sort of like taking a bunch of floppy joints with no control and then pounding on them for several hours a week. I can't imagine why that didn't feel good. Uh, and then basically just doing that for a few years, and it got to the point where I ignored it because for me psychologically it felt safer to pound the shit out of my joints than it did to stop. And But it got to a point where I just couldn't. Like, I'd finish teaching a class and my feet would hurt so badly I'd practically crawl off the stage or um, my shoulders were so impinged uh, that, like, I couldn't be, like, on my hands and knees without my hands going numb and steering arm pain down both arms and, like, I could barely grip a steering wheel. And so, you know, when you hit that level of debilitation, you have no choice but to figure it out. So that's... That's really kind of where that the pain started. Uh, as far as getting out of it goes, I pretty much took every corrective exercise post-rehab thing I could get my hands on, spent $15,000 on a massage um, certification after I was already a licensed massage therapist in where I was trapped in the woods for like 17 days at a time every six months for it should have been three years, but I dropped out. 
And then after all, in the middle of all of that, realized that if I, that release techniques and stability techniques weren't going to save me, started strength training instead. And that's really what finally got me out of pain and helped me start to understand loading. So that's like a five-year journey and I don't know, two, two minute ramble, but Jeez. there you go. <laughs> no, but like all of that was good. Cause like the first point I'm going to make is like a lot of clients and just people who start exercising, like when I bring up to patients that they're overtrained, they're like, what the hell does that mean? I'm like, you're coming mm-hmm. to the gym 12 hours a week, constantly, always going as hard as possible. No wonder your body fucking hates you right now. Mm-hmm. And then you have to, like, educate them. Like, you, you could, like, scale it back, and you're not going to, like, lose results. You'll probably see results better that way. But I'm also kind of curious, like, what kind of led you to that addiction or, like, need to always be training? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think for me, and but I think this is a lot of people, like I had a lot of emotional baggage that I didn't want to deal with. And I was sort of trying to escape all the bad feelings and I didn't want to acknowledge that they existed and I certainly wasn't going to talk about them. So exercise was a way of coping, right? If there, it, it, you know, if you feel ragey and sad and crazy inside and you want to escape your life, um, you know, jumping up and down for an hour is a really excellent distraction. And it's also an excellent distra- distraction that uh, society is actually going to reward you for like, wow, you're so healthy. You work out all the time. And if, you don't look like someone who has a disorder, which I certainly didn't, uh, no one's going to really call you on it or that it's a problem. And then in fitness, it's easy to normalize pain. So when all of the instructors and the people who you spend your time with and look up to, when everyone is in pain, you just start to think that it's normal. So I, I, th- I think that for me, like, like the thing that really, I never was like, I haven't, like, I knew I had an exercise problem, but I also knew that my problem wasn't exercise. I knew my problem was psychological. When I finally decided to go to therapy, I just stopped having those issues. And this is a tangent, but I will say there's a few workout programs out there right now that basically sound like borderline spiritual enlightenment, where they basically scream Instagram quotes at you while you sweat and cry. <laughs> uh, and and I see these women in these classes because I've taken them. And I'm like, oh, sweetie, you do not need to beat the crap out of your joints. You could just like spend like half this amount of time, get a much better result and go to therapy and feel good all day long instead of just escaping your feelings for an hour a day or a few hours a day this way. So that's that's my thought on that. So the other thing I'm also curious about is, like, your experience with therapy. Because, like, I've brought this up a couple times on my show, and everyone has, like, a different take on it. But, you know, were you, like, self-aware enough to figure out, like, oh, shit, I need to go speak to someone? Or did you kind of just, like, did someone tell you that you should go? Like, what was that, like, process like? Yeah, you know, it was, so I I was in a relationship with my college boyfriend. He's actually the reason I ended up out in Washington State, because I went to school in Ohio. But we were together a really long time, and he's actually a lovely person. This is nothing against him, but neither of us had our shit together, because we were in our early 20s. And I had this realization where I was like, oh, crap, if I stay with you, I'm going to I'm going to marry you. And that's bad. I'm not ready to marry you. I don't want to marry anyone. Uh, and so I broke up with him and it was super traumatic and it led to like the height of my exercise addiction and chronic pain issues. And I was sort of a mess. And at the time I was seeing one of the 
Pilates teachers um, from the school I'd trained in for privates. And, you know, I'd walk in and like sob on the equipment for an hour. It was crazy. Poor woman dealt with me anyway. Uh, and she was like, hey, I've been to therapy. It was really helpful. I think you should do it too. And so she'd already put the bug in my ear. And then right around that time, uh, my mother came and visited me. And it was a very, very triggering visit. And all of those things happening at the same time made me go, I do not want this to be the rest of my life. I think I should try this therapy thing. So that's how I ended up in it. Okay. And like, how did you go about choosing a therapist? Because it's like, you, you can't go on your Facebook and be like, hey, no. does anyone know a good psychologist? <laughs> like, like, wh- how did you find a good one? Because like, just like in any profession, like there's some good people in that industry and some so-so in that industry. Yeah. You know, what happened for me is I, uh, so my, the Pilates teacher who said, you should go to therapy, gave me the name of her old therapist. Her old therapist was like, hi, I'm not seeing people anymore, but I have a friend and my friend is great. And I was like, cool, whatever. So I called, I called her friend who ended up being my therapist. And I'm, I, I think actually the first conversation we ever had on the phone was like, Hi, I need to see you because my mother is crazy and I don't want to be my mother. (laughs) (laughs) And she she was like, um, and I was like, so can we make an appointment? And she, she rolled with it. So, so clearly it was meant to be, but that's, that's literally how I found her. She was referred to me and we started talking and she was this super chill chick who wasn't that, I mean, she was older than me probably by 10 years, but she wasn't like old, old. And she'd been, like, raised by, like, pagans in the woods, and <laughs> nothing nothing I said could faze her. Nothing. Wow. So that's that's how I found her. But I, I think that, you know, like, I got really lucky. Um, but I'd also, I'd also tried therapy. My parents had sent me to a psychologist when I was 12, and that didn't work. And then I'd actually tried another therapist when I was in college, and I basically stopped seeing her when she told me the solution to my problems was to sit under a tree and meditate. And I was like, fuck you, I don't like nature. (laughs) (laughs) So this was actually my third stint. So on a certain level, I think I always knew I had stuff to work through, but um, I just kept, it's the same process I've had for exercise. I just kept going to people until I found someone who I liked where things seemed to get better, and then I kept seeing them until I needed something else. No, I think that's good advice, too, because it's like, I, I think most people just kind of look at, oh, if I'm going to a therapist, I'm like really messed up in my head, and I don't want to tell anybody about it, but I've been trying to like kind of promote that mental health is as important as anything else in your life. Like, we need to get through that barrier of like, oh, I'm not going to, like, tell anyone I'm going to see a therapist. Right. And I I think the other thing is, especially in fitness, is there's so many people who go to fitness when they actually need to go to therapy or they struggle with fitness and they struggle with health and they struggle with nutrition, but they actually need to go to therapy because the reality is most of us, I think, when we can't figure our stuff out and we can't take care of ourselves – the, the, the root cause isn't that you don't understand it, eat vegetables and walk more. The root cause is that you've got a psychological thing that you can't unpack, and that's stopping you from being able to take steps to take care of your health. Oh, hell yes. This is why i am like been trying to find a good psychologist to actually come work at the clinic I'm at, because it would be amazing to have someone like that where you're able to see a chiro and a naturopath and a psychologist all in the, under the same roof. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, so moving on, I'm kind of curious about your massage certificate. So you're an RMT, correct? Yeah, I think, what is it? Is it LMP or LMT in Washington State? But yes, okay. I'm a licensed massage therapist. So getting into that, like what made you like say, all right, I'm going to spend this huge amount of money to become a massage therapist and do something with it. What, what led you to get into the school? Uh, well, so spoiler alert is I ended up spending like, let's say 30 to $40,000 on this stuff all to decide that I didn't want to be a massage therapist or touch people. Nice. Um, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I make very expensive choices that are often, (laughs) it don't make sense to the bottom line. Um, but no, so when I was, when I was sort of doing more of the post rehab thing, um, and I had a lot of pain myself, Something like the person who trained me in Pilates was a body worker. So I always thought massage was fascinating. Uh, I definitely had felt like how it helped me in some ways. And then I started uh, working with people teaching basically like foam rolling techniques that kind of mimicked massage. And there was a part of me that was like, I, I want to understand what's happening in the body better. And I want access to this continuing education. And I want, I just want to understand how to use my hands and how, like how all this stuff is put together, because it's one thing to see movement. It's another thing to actually be able to feel what's happening in a body. And so intellectually, I was very, very curious about that. And when I was doing more post rehab work, I wanted, I just wanted to understand it and have more tools to help people. So that led to massage school. Uh, there might be better massage schools out there. The one I ended up at was uh, in a purple building under a bowling alley that was run by, um, she was like a pain pop. She was like a pain pill popping, like codeine addict who wore like super high heels and kind of dressed a little strippery. So solid. Yeah. I bas- right. So I basically <laughs> spent $10,000 to sit in the back of a room. And unfortunately I learned very, very little. The whole experience was like, there's these people would come like we had one woman in this class. Cause you said, you don't mind a good tangent. So you'll appreciate this. Uh, she was this little yoga person. She never wore underwear or a bra. And she'd crawl around on the table. And she'd, and she'd talk about using a tanning bed to balance her fire chakra. And nice. <laughs> can't okay. this up. And, and the things that she said would trigger me so badly, I'd basically have to walk out of the room, stand in a corner, count backwards from 100, and then like go back in because I was just like, no, don't say that. That doesn't make any sense. Um, so I kind of, that was like my first introduction to massage and made me think, maybe this isn't for me, but I kind of kept doing it and taking the classes. And then like I did that aforementioned really expensive like um, bodywork training that was like a three-year certification that I dropped out of. And doing that made me realize that I don't want to have, like, I'm so grateful I have the information. I will keep the license because it was so expensive. Um, I don't mind working on people in the right time and place, but it made me realize that this isn't what I want to be doing with my time. So I don't. Fair enough, yeah. Like, I, at one point I was thinking of going into RMT school, but, like, looking at it, like, from a business model, like, one with your hands, like, longevity, like, four to five oh. patients only per day, and it's, like, I don't, I don't know, like, it, you're kind of limited to what you can do, and, like, even if you were, like, a trainer at a gym and you train semi-privately with four people, 
you probably end up making more per hour than you know 120 bucks per hour as an rmt but um it, it's still really good information like i would almost go to the school for the info but not actually practice it but again super expensive <laughs> Yeah, and and I and I think that's it. And unfortunately, depending on where you live, there's some really really great introductory massage schools, and then there's ones like mine that are just I mean, it's like reality TV where there's legit goats like in the office. That's also that was also a thing. Um, nice. But yeah, crazy. <laughs> but 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 I think the other thing is, unfortunately, and this happens in fitness too. There's a certain temperament that's attracted to massage and fitness a lot of the time. That's let's just say not corporate America minded. It's like the people who couldn't have a nine to five job end up in these situations because they're like, oh well, this looks fun and I don't have to be super formal and I can be kind of wacky. And, and unfortunately a massage, uh, like, I don't, I don't think that you need to like be a huge science nut to be the best massage therapist out there, but there is a lot of sort of like emotional drama where you walk into, you walk into some of these massage trainings and you're like, why is everyone crying on the table? And why does the whole room smell like lavender oil? <laughs> oh, man. It's awful. Yeah. Well, I think it's awful because you all sound like you have tinfoil hats on your head. So <laughs> I just like, 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 and I, and then again, I go back to thinking about how do we help the general public that even, even if that's helpful for you, most of the general public is not going to do well being told that, you know, there's, even if you believe it, even, I mean, I won't get in that belief system, but like, even if you truly believe you've like emotion stored in your hip and that anointing people with lavender oil will help. If you do that to some poor person who's just coming in for like relaxation or who just like just wants their hip to feel a little bit better, you're going to like, it's, it, it's such a huge leap from where that person's at. They're, they're never going to go back to you. They're also, you're also going to scare them, right? Cause it's going to seem yeah. crazy. So even if you have the skills to help them, even if body work could help that person, you've totally turned them off. They're never going to want to go near it again. And that really bothers me, especially because sometimes it can be a really helpful tool. Yeah, I think you also have to kind of, like, pick and choose what RM, like, because I've never had an experience with an RMT like that, but all the RMTs out here in, like, Vancouver, Canada, they're more, like, sports-based, and they, like, mm -hmm. really understand injury, but the one thing I've also noticed is, like, the difference between a male and female RMT, like, you know, the one that we have at our clinic, he's also a coach, and he's, like, strong as fuck, like, this guy his fine spots in my hip and shoulders that I ha haven't really had with a female RMT, but it's like, how many female RMTs have you gone to that train heavy, that can lift heavy shit? And the other thing too is like, in my clinic, we've seen a lot of RMTs coming to the Cairo I work with, and a lot of them don't strength train whatsoever, and they're like, oh, my neck and shoulder hurt like by the end of all of my massages, I don't think I can keep doing this, and I'm like, Wow, people just need to get strong for that profession. Like it's, I think the turnover rate's pretty low. I would assume. Yeah, I think I think that's a huge issue, and I mean, and then that goes back to the fact that most of them, a lot, I I think a lot of the massage therapists tend to be women. I think women are dissuaded from being strong for a number of reasons, um, you know, both in gym culture and then also in terms of, like, again, societal messaging. 
God forbid you have a muscle and get bulky. No one <laughs> yeah. will ever love you. You'll look like a man. What? Yeah. Uh, so, so you add all those things together and then you throw in, um, sort of, this doesn't always happen, but I've seen a lot of it in sort of the post rehab based massage trainings I've taken. And again, I've had some brilliant teachers, so I'm, I'm not saying all my education has been bad. A lot of it's been wonderful, but in the ones that I've taken issue with, there's a lot of, um, delicate snowflake, precious pillow pillow fording where it's like, oh no, no, if we don't do it exactly like this with this exact alignment and we get this exact muscle, terrible things will happen. And it's very delicate. And I think there's a certain population that needs that really light, delicate touch. Um, but I think that if you have a fragile mindset as a therapist, you also tend to be fragile in your own body because you believe that you're as fragile as the people who you're working on or that everything is about fragility. So you'll actually hurt yourself and bad things will happen if you lift that weight or if you try to get strong. So I think that there's a lot of fear and a lot of misunderstanding about how alignment works and how pain works and how uh, resiliency works. So all of that creates a situation where the people who are trying to treat people in pain also have the same pain that their patients have. Nice. Um, so the next thing I want to get into is that question we got on Instagram because like I have a pet peeve of mine when I send in questions in a podcast and they never get answered. <laughs> so like my goal anytime I get questions is always get them answered. Um, so the first one is how to warm up uh, efficiently when feeling stiff and clunky. My body likes to be more active midday, but the only time I could fit in uh, workout is either early in the morning or after work, either stiff and tight waking up or in tired block computer posture. <laughs> right. And I think that's common. Um, yeah. I think most of us feel stiff and weird after we've sit, sat for a long period of time or, uh, you know, first thing in the morning, if your sleep was not fabulous or whatever. So I, I mean, I, I think the thing is, it's, it's so funny to me that I don't think we need to live on a foam roller. I don't think your warm-up needs to be longer than your workout. But something I've noticed in, and again, I'm speaking in the global gym colloquial we, I know there's plenty of trainers listening who are like, no, I know this. Um, that's you. Great. Let's just get this information out there to everybody. But what's often taught is like a warm-up is... You do some bodyweight squats. You do some, if we're in like group fitness land or strength land, like maybe you do some bodyweight squats, some lunges, a little bit of weight, a little bit of whatever you're planning to do with lightweight, and then you grab a heavy weight and you go. Or if in your Pilates land, you lie on your back and you put your feet on a bar and you push out and you basically do a squat on your back and then you go. Uh, in all of those cases, or in yoga, you do a sun salutation. Uh, in all of those situations, there's never any like joint by joint spinal like joint by joint mobility that's happening. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of us, if you sit or stand a lot all day in one repetitive posture, your body's going to adapt and be really, really, really good at whatever you make it do. So if you sit all day in one position, sitting's not bad, but you're going to get like your posture and your tissues are going to get really, really good at holding you for sitting, um, which means you never move your spine. You never move your ankles. You never move your hips. You might not even turn your head. So if you take that position and then you go load a bunch of weight on it in your workout or you do a bunch of end range of motion positions in Pilates or yoga, it's not super surprising that everything feels stiff and clunky. So I think the easiest thing that people could do in a warm-up, and I'm talking like this could be five or ten minutes, it's like move your spine, rotate it, side bend it, like, you know, gently. Um, don't crank it. 
you know, flexion, extension, move your hips in all the directions, move your ankles in all the directions, move your shoulders in all the directions, maybe do a little bit of like, quote unquote, stability training or like, like light muscle activation. Like, so feel, you know, where your glute meat and your shoulders are like, just give your body information and then go do whatever your normal warm up is. So it's generic, but it's also what works. And usually it'll stop joints from clicking, cracking and going ouch or feeling really stiff and weird. Yeah, like the interesting thing that I see in the clinic all the time is like when I show a patient how to actually use their scapulas and they have no idea how to disassociate their shoulder yep. blades and sho- and their shoulder. And they look at me yep. like, why the hell can I not do that? I'm like, because I practice this all the time. Like if you're right. in one posture, even if you're standing, like you look at chefs that stand for like 14 hours straight, their necks and shoulders are fucked. Like, it doesn't matter what posture you're in. It's like if you're prolonged in one position, your body's going to hate you. Yeah, and then you throw onto that, like, like let's talk about the shoulder thing, for example, in the upper back. Like, that, that shit's behind you. You can't yeah. see your shoulder. So, of course, you like, it's hard to feel and understand where something is. But, like, you can't even see. So... So I think that's the other piece of it. And then I, I don't know about you, but I've noticed in fitness land, man, we love a good shoulder down and back cue no matter what's happening. <laughs> and, and, and we teach that as stability, right? We're like, if you lock that joint and you never move it again, you're good to go. Uh, that's not, that, does, that creates some problems for a lot of us. So I think just teaching people simple things like, hey, your shoulder can go where your arm goes is like really, really helpful. And if you teach your body that in a warm-up, like you said, it might not feel so fucked when you add weight to it. Nice. Um, so I think that would be a good place to stop because I know you and I can probably chat forever. <laughs> but maybe for the last question, you can tell everyone on my podcast where they can find you online, any projects you have coming out or anything else you want to plug on my show, you can right now. Cool. Um, so I think probably if you are a podcast listener, uh, I have a podcast called Fitness and Fitness. Nets. Uh, and I've been not great about putting out episodes, but, uh, right now you'll find if you go there, there's, there's a little bit more of like the how to pain science, uh, female empowerment stuff. It's going to shift because I want to talk about other things more towards, uh, pop culture. Like I'm going to talk to my friend who's a female drag queen about getting your drag queen body because how do those people train? I'm really curious. Uh, <laughs> genuinely, uh, and then also my website is probably the easiest place to find um, my Instagram handle and everything else, which is nablevy.com, which I know no one can spell. So it's just <laughs> N as a Nancy, A-A-B as in boy, L-E-V-Y.com. Nablevy is also my Instagram handle. If you want to see someone crawling around on the ground in fishnets, making an ass out of themselves, that's an excellent place to do that. So you can kind of find all my stuff there. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Boom. That was a rough intro. Hey, I think that was the first time I nearly fucked that one up, but that's how my show goes. You know, it's go with the flow. You see what happens and you hope for the best. Um, little insider scoop. Essentially, every time I do a podcast episode, I email prep questions to the guest, but this always happens we get through maybe one or two or maybe even three questions that i prepped and then it just you go with the flow you go where the conversation goes i like having my show without any structure to get the real and raw answer from the guest so hopefully you like that uh 
that style, but May 4th, put that down in your calendars, on your phones, on everything, because that's when my fitness ebook, The Ironclad Body Training System, comes out. If you listen to my last episode, I go into detail what the book's about. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. If not, hit the show notes. Hit the link in the show notes to get yourself on the pre-sale list, and you'll be able to get the book before everyone else with a discount. And if you're Canadian, you're going to get another discount because... This book is going to be in U.S. currency, and if you live in Canada, you know that our dollar is the shit right now compared to the U.S. dollar. So for all you Canadians out there, you're going to get a discount to make the price exactly the same if you bought it here at home. And for everyone else, it's in U.S. currency. I'm super excited, guys. I'm so freaking pumped because going through the process of two different web designers that I had to let go... And then finding one that went above and beyond my expectations is huge. And I was like nerve-wracking to be like, oh my god, I don't think I'm going to have this done in time. I already set the date. Fuck, it's coming together. I'm super excited. Hit the show notes. Share this podcast. Be awesome. Crush the day. I freaking love you guys. Have a wonderful day.